0: Welcome to the latest Savings Guru podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by by someone who I've I've spent some time working with uh, and enjoyed immensely, uh, Tim Coates, who is the Chief Customer Officer and one of the co-founders of Oxbury Bank. Welcome, Tim. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us uh, today. For those of listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and Oxbury. Uh, what you know, kind of what made you set up the bank and, and and your kind of journey so far
1: oxby's journey is probably about three and a half years long so far now and it actually began with um my two co-founders james and nick who were who were former bank of scotland colleagues back from the back from the 90s they bumped each other on a train back from london uh to cheshire so nick was at the time was doing an earnout, um having sold his previous business to Relex plc um and that business was a was a uh, agricultural sort of software and it integration business and james had just left another new bank called ClearBank, where he'd been the uh, initial ceo who kind of took that through from a sort of sketch blank piece of paper kind of situation up to a, an authorized bank and he felt he'd learned quite a lot about how that works well and what doesn't work so well in that process and they kind of got to, to reconnecting and talking and and suddenly realized they were sort of thinking some, some similar kind of thoughts about um, about banking and about about agriculture. more practically, the whole oxbury thing got got going in January two thousand and eighteen when I was uh, then on board, and uh, I was sitting in my spare room and I started writing you know doing that first bit of putting pen to paper and writing the business plan sadly i 'm still in that spare room right now that, <laughs> looking forward later in the year, hopefully to getting back into the Chester office uh, where we 're based. Yeah, so 2018 was sort of the was our year of scoping, writing, planning, modelling, raising our first Series A capital round, getting our application submitted at the end of that year to the to the PRA and the FCA, uh, and that saw us authorised at the beginning of 2020 with another capital round, a Series B, and then 2019 I suppose was really our mobilisation. Sorry, 2020 was really our mobilisation year. We did a Series C investment round at the end of that and um that was an investment round done entirely over zoom and other such tools I, I would not recommend that in any way shape size or form it is exhausting in in the in, in the best of cases using zoom for meetings but if you're trying to persuade people to part with their money uh and and get behind your vision it's um it's it's a tough tough gig but you know we got to become a live bank uh, from the start of this year we're lending to farmers we're taking deposits from those wanting to back that sector of the economy, and everything that's important about it. So that's sort of how Oxford's got to here so far. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a long journey, isn't it? I don't I don't think people necessarily appreciate uh, how long it takes, and that that average time to to get from the kind of initial meeting to the regulator to being live in the market is is increasing. Uh, you know, almost year, you know certainly year by year and almost month by month. I mean, it's great team yeah. of protection perspective and you know should be reassuring to uh, savers particularly that uh, the amount of work that has to be be done but uh, it's a long process to be involved with from an individual standpoint
1: in, indeed indeed and i probably should quickly declare the sort of the, the kind of conflict of interest here which is that you know it has got a bit longer in, in the past years i'd say the glory days uh, in terms of uh, 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 the most efficient process that you know probably somewhere around sort of 2014 to, to, to the end of 2017 i may or may not have been responsible for running that process at the fca at the time <laughs> um and, and and that's actually that's how i got to know james which was through the, through the clear bank project so i was the sort of authorizing officer at the fca for that amongst uh, other new banks some of which are increasingly becoming sort of um if not high street banks but you know high household names
0: you've taken me up nicely there because you you you've kind of touched a bit on there but you've got a really interesting background so um, we've uh, you know farming banking and regulation haven't you do you want to tell us a bit more about that yeah sure uh,
1: some days I'm never quite sure if I'm a farmer who became a banker or a banker who happens to be a farmer um, and somewhere in there there's a, there was a regulatory journey the thread is, is is sort of to some extent quite typical of someone from a farming family in the sense of initially I had to make a career away from the family farm and again sort of you know uh, an obvious place that people quite often go off and make a career in the UK is is in you know professional services and you know typically finance and and, and I like I like many others went went to the city, that wasn't long before the financial crisis then came and hit and um, the sort of uh, you know that's that leaves its mark much like I'm sure this current pandemic crisis will leave its mark in in terms of how people think about their careers and that's that was true of my sort of you know farming background being on a family farm and you get to um, you get to think about like the big picture. I think at quite a young age, when certain things happen, you know, I, I as a child lived through the BSE crisis, two bouts of foot and mouth crisis, and you know, you, you used to hear a, a lot of conversations about things like you know, the exchange rate mechanism and global trade policy—the sort of things that some of us have got quite used to hearing a lot about, thanks to Brexit. But um, it's sort of always sort of part of a farmer's life because you know it. Being the sector that none of us can do without, we've all got to eat. You know, it's a highly liquid global commodities market on, on with one lens on, and um, you know, big changes in 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 tr- things like trade policy, you know, impact the farmer on the ground. So that kind of sense of what's going on, I think, has probably given me what I call a curious mindset. And uh, I think working as I was then in the city, and and I was doing. Um, sort of corporate and financial and political communications when that when the when the crisis came and i had um you know a few a few financial services clients who uh some of them weathered it better than others and again there was quite a lot of well what's going on here thinking that i was doing and um uh after a few years in consultancy i um i took it took a bit of time out and went and got a um, master's in financial economics just to uh, a i really wanted to go back and get another qualification but i also wanted to um give myself the space to think about some of those things that that, that had been going on and happened that then led me into joining the fca which again uh, as a sli- you know uh, slightly selfishly i took as an opportunity to get that kind of industry-wide perspective about some of the things that were going on in different aspects of financial services so I was there for a little over five years, uh, I think, once it, it all added up. And it was a good point to be joining because I joined in to work initially for Martin Wheatley as he came in to be chief executive, the first chief executive of the FCA. But I spent most of that time, as I've, I've already alluded to, um, as the subject matter expert on new banking, which was a, was a great time to, do, uh, to be doing that, given uh, there were lots of people who wanted to start banks at that point in time. I, I think the regulatory framework change definitely helps support that and it can, can continue to do so, I hope. Uh, there's other other big big factors at play that you know make that possible the financial crisis itself being one of one of them, but also then you know technology change itself um, has also been obviously a crucial part of making that uh, journey possible for us and for and for others. Finally to kind of to wrap that up into again me joining Oxbury, I guess at the FCA um, while I was there, it's um it, it gets a lot of criticism for a lot of things. Um, it's quite a good place to work one of the things it's quite good at is uh understanding flexibility in working and i think you know that's again a trend that i think has been talked about a lot in the past year so i actually got went went down to 4 days a week from 2015 there and the reason i did that is because i was part of a succession planning exercise for the family farming business and that challenge of succession is is a big one for uh, farming businesses in the uk presently you know, the average age of a farmer is 59 so I've, I've been through that the complexities of that exercise which means that as well as my role at oxbury I'm, i am now the manager of my family farm now which is um it comes with its own set of uh, challenges and responsibilities but it also keeps me really really connected to the um the day-to-day challenges being faced by the target market of, of oxbury
0: i think it's a fa- fascinating background tim you've got you yeah, know gives it um, yeah, particularly. F- from from an Oxbury context, you've kind of got you know a lot of the Holy Trinity there, haven't you? you've got yeah the banking, farming, and the uh, regulatory piece. Uh, it's a um, a pretty yeah. unique background. I, I I can't think of anyone that's got uh, can rival that combination.
1: Yeah, well, it led to it led to this sort of this, this sort of bizarre situation where. So how that all come together, and I'm suddenly suddenly uh, joining James and Nick. Well, as I say they had their their meeting on the train. And James said something to Nick, like, "Oh well, you know we should just go in and just throw the idea in front of the regulators, just to kind of see what they say. Oh, there's this guy, Tim there, he seems to seems to be pretty switched on I'll just give him a call and set something up so so they did, and they came in, and you know I was there with another FCA colleague and a couple of colleagues from the from the Bank of England. And it became one of those, you know, more bizarre meetings I've ever had. It's it's sort of mid to late 2017. I know that I'm going to be leaving the FCA in my head. I've actually handed my notice in because I'm I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, I've got to take on the the family farm business, but I'm going to have to do something else as well on the side. So sitting in this meeting and I suddenly find myself sort of translating to, particularly to my banking of England counterparts, what things like agricultural charges are and what seasonality of cash flow looks like in dairy and arable farming and things like why farmers are typically actually really good security. I suppose it's one of those, I think other people talk about, it's like I'm on the wrong side of the table meeting. So given I was already on, on, out the door anyway, so it didn't take too long for, for James and I to, to sit down and agree and get on, with, get on with taking this proposition forward. And, you know, after that Christmas, off we went.
0: And the proposition came to fruition towards the end of, of, of 2020 from a lending perspective and from a savings perspective at the end of January this year we started to take savings from farmers and then earlier in February from personal savers What what's the early feedback been like?
1: We've had you know a really engaged group of initial savers um, who've actually you know they've offered quite a lot of really helpful feedback particularly around our application process the onboarding uh, experience and and what using our online banking uh, and mobile app is like. One of the things that we've done is uh, we're using what's called passwordless security for our multi-factor authentication. It requires a bit more of a complicated initial setup than some other security approaches. And it could be a bit confusing to some people and you do need a vaguely recent, you know, iPhone or Android device to use it. But we think that the security benefit of having that in place and, and actually crucially for the customer, it's very hard to then go and be fished because they don't actually have a pin or password to give away to a malicious actor pretending to be us so it's um you know i kind of think that it's the kind of approach that we all see increasingly and i don't know about you but you know i have to use a password manager to you know use everything else and which means i kind of don't even know some of my passwords good protection for me occasionally means that things can be an absolute nightmare i ended up locked out of a nationwide current account for the best part of six months once having got the passwords all a bit jumbled up so yeah, I think we're being an early adopter on that, and it's it is not for everyone. You know, there are a few people who've opened some accounts and gone. Actually, I just think that this is this approach is a bit too confusing for me. We're sorry to see, see them go, but you know, it's still useful feedback for us to think about how we can um, bring that forward.
0: Do you find some of the customers are saying, that, you know, actually they're kind of reassured by the you know, the high level of security?
1: Absolutely, we've had that, and we've had some people who say actually, you know, um, it's it's actually you know we've given a very detailed guided set of steps of how to set it up and they were sort of like you know they've had some feedback saying it's so welcome but actually we've probably made it you know it wasn't as hard as we're trying to explain it as being almost because we're so keen to make it easy for people because we know it's a bit new but we've had you know we've had some genuinely good feedback about you know people really like it and again once you've actually done the setup the use of it um it's really easy and that feedback is crucial to how we evolve our pr- proposition. You know, a bit buzzwordy, but we generally use an, what's called the agile methodology for running everything internally in terms of uh, constant improvement. So, um, you know, e- from this initial feedback, we've already done some minor tweaks to our application forms, the website, the online banking, just to reflect what you know we've been told.
0: Yeah, at the moment, yeah. you're you're only open to personal and and farm savings customers are you intending to expand that out
1: yeah absolutely we are so we're, we're only doing individual personal customers right now but joint accounts is is coming uh you know in a matter of months so you know hope hopefully that'll be you know in place uh, for midsummer just as we all stop having to social distance and we are doing um business account for farm businesses at the moment and we you know we're a farm first bank and a but we're also a bank for those who want their savings to have a purpose i supporting british food production so that's the general saver, but obviously there's a whole uh, wider agricultural ecosystem of businesses and and individuals around that who um, who we are starting to ro- to roll some things out for. And actually, that's something that you know any any business can actually currently apply. We will accept them. Our rates for the farm business are structured as sort of in two component parts. We have a standard uh, rates, as it were, which essentially are just business savings rates, and then we pay a a farm bonus rate on top to to active farmers um to ensure that they're getting you know guaranteed market leading rates as a result
0: how strict are you then on that farm bonus because obviously there's you know a number of businesses that support farms and in the agricultural sector kind of where where do you draw the line there in terms of who gets the bonus and and doesn't
1: fundamentally is the business's core raison d'etre to do with agriculture so there will be some who have a very wide remit and actually agriculture is a very small part of it. They're probably outside of that. There are others who are clearly, even if they're not actively farming, um, they are absolutely in that. And, you know, we've had some of those queries come in already. Nine out of 10 of those, they're going to get the bonus rate as well.
0: That's good. Let's look forward to the future then. you Obviously, you've mentioned some of the things that are coming down the pipeline in terms of joined accounts, etc., do you have any any plans for anything new or innovative in the in the future that's that's coming down the pipeline?
1: We've briefly touched on you know things like doing joint accounts and extending business accounts that are currently available to sort of sole traders partnerships, limited companies to take on other other entities, so cooperatives, charities, trusts, other structures. We're actually looking at the moment about how we can um, put a specific pr- proposition out there for the young farmers associations which are out there to support them their financial future. It's really important to bring the next generation of farmers on. And also, if we can do work around the the many small and national agricultural benefit charities, um, you know, keeping keeping our focus there. I personally have some quite strong views that the savings market and retail banking you know, in general, is not always that innovative when it comes to product innovation. So built on our sort of technology approach allows us to be more innovative. We haven't really talked about it in the, in this conversation, James, but our lending proposition has definitely been enabled by that. And, you know, we want the savings proposition to be as well. And we think we'll do that in a way that, you know, the likes of the the large high street banks just will never get around to prioritizing. One of the first things we're kind of doing as a proof point in in that to show that we can do something a bit different and that also you know is to, is to fundamentally talk about the point is that we're we 're a company with a purpose and we want our savings customers to be saving with us for a purpose is we're launching a product later this month called oxby Forest saver Forest saver is um, uh, a savings account which is designed to be uh non-consumptive and what i mean by that is we are uh using the uh interest accrued by our savings customers to directly fund the planting of trees on british farms so native species being planted across the uk uh following the mantra of the right tree in the right place now there's been quite a lot of things where you see oh you yeah, no open this account we'll plant a tree that's not not what we're talking about we're talking about the direct link between people being able to sort of put their money to a, to a, a, a really important initiative and purpose and that it's a fully done in a fully auditable way such that it's really clear how the choice to save delivers a real proper carbon mitigation i'm not a great fan of as i say of the kind of things which are tick a box at the end of your booking a flight and we'll somehow go off and magically offset this but it's just but that's just that's just behavior as normal we're trying to actually get behavior to change i think most people i think now are aligned to the fact that um there is a requirement for behavior change and personal action and you know corporate action and government action to support the agenda on climate change without getting too moralizing about it there's a real imperative here to act and i think the best way that um you know markets will move is when individuals take action so we're offering the ability you know from this month for you know people who are concerned about um doing something to mitigate their climate impact to you know uh, they've got a savings product they can they can open which you know like any savings product your savings will be safe and your capital will be returned at the end of the end of the term but rather than seeking a a, a simple financial return we're actually saying you know actually this is this is making an investment in the future and and making a difference on you know environmental impact you know right now
0: you're talking here then a much more personalized uh, approach to actually being able to offset your kind of personal contribution to to the
1: yeah, exactly. So you know, if you you know if you go, if you go to the Oxford website and it's all, it's all the information is already there, we'll say that you know, for example, save twelve thousand pounds in Oxford for a saver on a, you know it's a one year fixed fixed rate bond, and that would off well, it would mitigate the climate impact of the average UK citizen, which is you know that's based on the, the calculations made by the, the the WWF. Again, you know, we can you can go to the WWF you know calculate calculate your own footprint and and save whatever is appropriate um to mitigate you your your households um or your uh you know 20-year tw- career flying back to singapore every now and then whatever it is you need to, to you think you should be mitigating there's a way of doing that straight now and it's and it's the direct link to funding i mean it was the budget yesterday and of course there was a it was a it was a green uh savings bond announced by the government i'd like to say it's a great initiative and i'm sure it is the skeptical part of me is actually if you're putting it into something like nsni like that it's a bit of an accounting trick Who's to say that you can you will be able to draw the link directly between that savings and that approach, as in the what will actually be done with it? I think, you know, there's so many other levers that the government are pulling that h- how can you ever say that it was, oh, well, it's the retail savers and NSNI that made the difference. Whereas, you know, our approach is, is identifiable tree far- planting projects on British farms that, you know, are fully woodland carbon code compliant, you know, delivered with, you know, industry leading partner um, to deliver uh, and, it's, you know, it's fully auditable and, you know, push comes to shove and you, you say, I've saved with Oxbury, where are my trees? We can say, go there. You made that happen there, which will have this impact over time. And I think that's that's really important. You know, I'm a great believer in individual agency. And I think there is an appetite and I see clearly, clearly the Chancellor agrees with me that there is an appetite for people to go and save with a purpose and save to support the transition uh, to a low carbon economy. But again, I think what people want in that is um, is clear uh, accountability and transparency about how that's being delivered.
0: It's going to be interesting to see what the details are when they uh, c- you know kind of come out on the on the green savings bonds.
1: Uh, yeah, and and actually the thing about again doing Oxford for a saver, and you know if the green savings bonds do things like I'm just going to pluck this out of thin air, but you know if they're, if they're suddenly like actually that means we're able to expand our offshore wind capability by X amount, you know, great, I'm all for it. Uh, and that's important. It's obviously very important. Something like Oxford Forest Saver has additional benefits apart from just the cli- climate mitigation. The other big, the big thing it's doing is, again, is and this is through our partner partnership selection and the point that we want to get this moving across the entire country. It's about, um, and frankly, restoring as well as maintaining the biodiversity inherent in our um, ecosystems. That's about air quality. That's about water quality. It's about species mix, which includes genetic mix, which builds resilience i mean a lot have been written over the past year about how the pandemic we're facing now is about over encroachment into ecosystems it's generally how viruses come forward we need to support what has already been a depleted biodiversity and again this is this is a kind of project which we can put you know out there right now and say if you believe we should be supporting our natural ecosystem defenses to support our planet's future it's it's available for you right now you know it will support jobs in the you know forestry and the farming industries um you know which is obviously also really important for the rural economy
0: i agree i i think it uh it will be interesting to see that that kind of detail um i think i agree with you applaud sort of a, any any efforts to to work there but um looking at the kind of detail of the the budget yesterday particularly around NSI's targeting although the green savings bonds are going to be outside of that looking at the overall tone of where that's going it doesn't suggest that the uh, the volumes or the, the, the rates on offer on those green savings bonds are, are going to be looking to attract a particularly large volume um, of, of yeah. savings in. You, you kind of wonder, therefore, whether it could be yeah a bit more gimmicky rather than um, actually designed to, to have a, a real impact. It will certainly be interesting to compare.
1: I will reserve my judgment until we see the detail, right? But I'm thinking, right, right idea. But uh, you know, a lot of it's in delivery, and you know, have have we necessarily got everything perfect with forest Saver? Well, we've tried to, but we will continue to evolve that product as well, and we will be, you know, because that's uh, that's what that's what we what we can and we will do.
0: We touched on your your background earlier at, um, with with the regulator, and it's bit hard hard to kind of ignore that you you mentioned that how, how busy it was at a time when you were. There, I think we're at 32 newly authorized banks. With Cash Plus being the latest to get mm-hmm. over the line, we've also seen Birra Bank acquired by Lee bushels Investment Group and rebranded as Birmingham Bank. We both know there's more banks in the pipeline. Um, do you think there's room for for those that are coming?
1: In short, yes, I do. I touched on it a bit before, but I think this is the story of technology enablement and. I think what the approach to tech and, and now obviously fintech has, you know, meant for Oxbury is that we've, you know, we've managed to build everything we need pretty much from scratch. You know, we, our approach has been to, we basically co-developed our core banking platform and all the functionality around it with a specialist, what's called a low code provider. So that's built on a low code system, which is. A bit sort of like a, the way it's being explained to me best is it's sort of like um, rather than having to rewrite every line of code for everything you do, there's very much an ability to, to to replicate quickly and efficiently. And we've done that, you know, cloud native, built the entire thing in the cloud from scratch and others can follow that sort of strategy. And it means that you can bring propositions to market that are more specialist, that are more niche and again, I think like us are banks that are trying to have a clear purpose and make an impact against that purpose. So uh, I know almost nothing uh, beyond what you've already said about Lee Bushel and his plans for Birmingham Bank, but in that sense that you know it seems pretty clear what the intent is to in- inject an idea of regional banking, uh, something that you know I think has been seen to work in other countries, less so in the UK. I mean not at least in recent decades. But I think actually that is completely possible. But I also think that sector specialism like Oxbury is important. I think people know and understand the people they are serving. That's that's really important. It's it's how do you get people people to be best at what people do, which is forming relationships and really understanding the characters that drive businesses. And how do you get technology doing what technology is best at? and um there are obviously some some interesting overlaps you know things like credit analytics is somewhere which sits sort of at where those two might meet but oxbury's approach is very much we use the technology to g- get people away from having to do the sort of mundane tasks and the administration such that we can put more people into you know customer facing roles uh having informed discussions particularly on the farming side with with them um, you know people who really understand the intricacies of the variability in farming businesses?
0: It's a really interesting point you you make there about uh, you know sector specialism and and you talked about other markets. I mean Germany is obviously a, a really good example of where regional banks have have worked very well and and, and dominated. We, we we certainly seem to be going down the, the route in the UK of of sector specialism or um, lending specialism. Uh, uh, Birmingham will be interesting because it's uh first one to uh, to look at specific regional
1: yeah and as I say you and I are both aware that there's a couple of others in the pipeline who are looking at other regions in the in the UK right so um and you know again I'm I'm very for that you know we we founded Oxbury up in the northwest in Chester it's a it's a great part of the country it's um it's nice to have a non sort of London metropolitan focus we don't also yeah. don't unlike a lot of others of the new entrants have a sort of you know we're not into the you know Property-backed SME finance space in quite the same way as others, SMEs in particular, but but the wider lending and consumer markets will also benefit from from that trend. I think as long as it as long as it continues.
0: While we're on the crystal ball gazing, obviously the savings markets changed massively in the past decade with all the with all the new entrants. Uh, what, what do you think we're going to see in the savings market in the next few years? Uh,
1: well, as I've sort of already hinted at, I think what well, I'd quite like. And I, I'd like it to see is that it should be recognised that money talks, and I think that the savings market could be looked at as a way of individuals voting with their funds on this giant liquidity pool that supports the change they want to see in society, support the social environmental challenges of the coming decades. Clearly, we're trying to do that with Oxford Forest Saver. We've got a few other thoughts in the in the pipeline about how we can do that on some some things to do with supporting um, the society that exists in the rural economy as well so i hope to be talking to you about that in coming months james we're in this and have been now for some time this low interest rate environment and it may may yet get lower and once we get into that world really for in the long in, in the longer term thing which i think we will certain other types of banking models that exist sort of elsewhere but not really here in the uk start to become quite interesting so i'm sort of talking about the SME banking principles that the we bank in switzerland have which is essentially a sort of economic circle of SMEs that essentially sort of pool the liquidity amongst themselves. And it works at low interest rate environments in terms of setup, but can survive if it's at scale, uh, if, if rates go up again. A similar principle exists uh, throughout the Nordic countries on the, the land uh, labour capital movement there jak banks i'm not aware of anyone proposing that particularly in the uk at the moment much in the same way that no one suddenly sprung up and said i've got this really great new building society idea because it's the same kinds of challenges right i think we're getting probably into a bit of philosophy of political economy here a bit but i think you know we are going to start to see a a changing appetite i think both from as a result of uh, the low interest rate environment the impacts of the pandemic The challenges of climate change, the challenges of inequality in society, that I think means that private finance, and that's how we get back to what's going to happen in the savings market, the idea of what a return is on your savings, that question is up for grabs. And I think that's where I think we're going to see a lot of interest in the coming years. And you know the big the big question we're going we're all waiting to see what happens is is all things being well and and the vaccine program being effective and rolling out and the economy reopening again is are we going to see for those you know the the top three quintiles of of the UK economy who have got more savings now than they did before the pandemic is that going to have a a wealth effect are people going to be like glad I've got that hoard it down to some some degree or is it going to be an income effect are people going to go out and spend it in America where their approach was a bit of more of a helicopter one, that all went a bit differently. You know, Already they've seen that some people go, hmm, I have no idea what to do with this government check. I'm going to go on Reddit and before you know it, I'm buying shares in this thing called GameStop. Strange things do happen. I think here the MPC members all seem to be getting up and making speeches about it at the moment. I'm not even sure they know quite what's going to happen. They have got some good, good theories, but I think they're kind of broadly thinking it's a bit of a wealth effect. So that means the savings market is going to be bigger uh, uh than it has been and it ends to something that I'm here to stay um that you know for those of us already uh, as as banks in that market that that's an interesting you know question for us to deal with there's going to be quite a lot of liquidity out there with my economics hat on doesn't lead me to think that again strict returns are necessarily going to be the order of the game obviously we all need to save at different points in in our in our lives for different purposes but what what is it really doing is it having a difference is it making is it making Making a difference, having an impact, as well as meeting those core things that I need from a savings account: reliability, ease of access, uh, and security.
0: It's really interesting and I think if you were a cynic looking at the the market, you would you would say, "Well, I'll spark all this activity from from new banks." Eighty odd percent of the the savings market still sits in in it, it, yeah, the place it, it it always has done. That, you know, the new banks have effectively taken some some away but have, yeah. have largely also taken sort of the growth of the, the market uh, as well um so structurally it doesn't look that different so you could argue that interest rates ha- haven't made that shift will moving more towards the impact of what your savings do uh, and looking at it from that particular low rate environment could that could that have an in- impact Would be really interesting to see
1: yeah, absolutely. And this is why this, you know, actually this, as a practitioner in the savings market, it's why it's such a fascinating thing to be doing because the savings market seems to exhibit both extreme price elasticity and inelasticity at the same time. So, yeah. there are there are a co- cohort of consumers who are following a one basis point change in rate. But then there's a whole other much larger swathe who doesn't matter whether it's there and I'm just going to pick them at random. HSBC are paying, you know, 0.1 or 0.01 or 0.001 or nothing they still don't move the money so it's not as simple as saying that everything is driven on the, on the price anyway currently we've known that for a long time the ongoing debate sitting in regulatory circles is is there should something be done about back books that is a question that has not yet been fundamentally answered <laughs> i have my own personal views i kind of think that maybe maybe it should some more should be done there because we're talk, but we're talking about you know um trying to trying to ascribe one behavior to a whole set of individuals who are savers and you know as i said people have different requirements of their savings at different if you know if they have any um at different points in their lives um and different circumstances and to some extent again with with greater specialism is that there should be the ability for um providers to come in and provide products that are suitable at all of those junctures right
0: yeah hey, i think it's been a fascinating market to be in the last 10 years and i i don't see that changing uh, i think there'll be different things that will make it interesting in, in the coming years but I, th- I think it's going to be a exciting place to be still i've got to ask you because i ask every guest this uh it, it's the if you were the chancellor for the day particularly uh timely given uh rishi did the budget yesterday uh, what what's the one change that you'd make that benefits savers
1: so i'm not sure how you'll react to this one james but uh my, my change Ooh. actually is uh as i would abolish nsni
0: okay Oh, I like this. This is an interesting take.
1: So I think it distorts markets. I think people rush to it because it can outcompete and then they get fed up when it doesn't meet their expectations. That might be sort of betraying the fact that I'm sort of generally in favour of uh, the fact that we've got a reasonably well-functioning, as you and I say, private provision of savings accounts out there. Uh, I don't particularly think there's a a need for it anymore. And more specifically, it's got a monopoly on prizelink savings accounts so with through premium bonds so the legal hoops you have to jump through and we've we've looked into this to go into that market uh and i know there have been some people who've who've found some some roots in you know like halifax and the the family building society um but you know it means that competition around that kind of product innovation is not what it should be if you look at other jurisdictions around the world where they have had been able to bring those products to market they're they're really popular and they get quite competitive with each other and again at the at, you know the lower bound interest rates it's it's something that i think should be actively considered but whilst uh premium bonds are sitting there and again are legally protected in their position of being there you know it's, it's going to be it's going to be hard for people to, to to justify the innovation in that space as well so you know overall i just i kind of think that you'll be the expert on the history of nsni but from my point of view i just don't think it has it has a place in the modern savings landscape to be in you know, and it will never be able to uh to deliver the customer service that um that a private institution can can prioritize
0: that, that latter point we've certainly seen the evidence of of that in this this past year um, and even if you allow some sympathy for nsn as an organization because of the, the the fact that the the pricing decisions have been you know driven by by treasury clearly um yeah. Yeah, i think what's what's clear is that uh, they haven't been able to operationally gear up in, in the same way that uh that, that other banks have have been able to respond
1: i've also said they're a bit distorting but of course actually sometimes they're just like everyone else though as well so you know much like the the high street banks they're also got you know things out there paying one, and i, I think that's uh, i think the message of that should be pretty clear which is we don't want your money and um you know if if, if you've got the if you've got the government entity saying saying that it makes it all the more easy for the high street banks to say the same thing
0: i think what's interesting this time with uh, is looking looks only looking at the numbers and we'll, we'll know more next month when their annual results are, are published is is there actually looks like there's been a strong backlash to the rate cuts and a, a large proportion of the the funds that are on those products at, at uh, as low as 0.01 are actually moving uh and the the only numbers that appear to be growing there are the, are the premium bonds which which you mentioned I mean that's a that's a fascinating piece because you know you arguably you had what was effectively a state-backed bank now that is a uh, you know, a price saver uh, provider that does a bit of banking as as well because yeah, premium bonds are now by far the most dominant product to account for more than half of their business. Do you think it's going to happen then Tim? Go on. Uh, that's the well, do, do, do you think
1: it will? do you see it happening? I yeah, I think I'm slightly dreaming, uh, I'm afraid, but uh, <laughs> and, and and clearly they've, you know, again as we saw yesterday they've 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 gone. We want to do something in this space they'll look to them rather than look to the the private market which I think is um uh maybe maybe I should have put a few more phone calls into the treasury uh in the last few months and said what we were planning, I don't know, but um Ah, uh, would have, could have, should have. I was, I was, I was busy launching a good proposition.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're probably in dreamland there in terms of whether it could actually have. A, I can't see it going anywhere anytime, time soon. But I, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what you said there in terms of its its distortion in the market and uh and, and whether the the need for it, it, it exists. It certainly has a monopoly on the on the price saver market too. Uh, on, on the other hand, there's a I can I never get away that it was the you know the first savings account that I had was a national savings one when I was a, a kid so my starting point in the savings world if you like was was via national savings I, I think I think there's a fair bit of that in play with with it as a brand there's an emotional attachment for for a lot of people from you know my age upwards particularly
1: no absolutely and you know as I said I, I was never denying that it hasn't had a, a point and a purpose at that- you know, times in, 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 its yeah. history. And, um, but, um, hugely. but, you yeah. know, when, uh, you know, whenever someone puts together a museum yeah. of savings, um, I hope to see it in there as a, as a museum piece rather than something that we're still talking about.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that point, that might be coming sooner than you think actually. So, uh, that's the, but that's uh, the conversation for another time. Uh, uh, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. A, a really interesting, set of conversations on a, a, a wide variety of topics so thank you very much for for joining and sharing your your thoughts with us and then telling us more about the opry journey
1: that's no problem at all thank you very much for having me james
0: yeah.